I'm Tom, I'm a project leader here at the Summit Habitat Rehab uh, on East, well, on Maple Street, East Durham. We're all just here to serve as Christ served us. And so uh, I'm really proud of this team. They're, they're working like mules and they're not complaining a bit. So uh, couldn't ask for more. So we got a crew of about 20 people here doing a rehab on a couple houses trying to preserve the uh, quality of the neighborhood, the character of the neighborhood. So we're gutting the one house, one house, the other house we haven't started on yet. We'll do that later in the week. I'm Kevin White with Global Hope India, and this week we are excited to have ServeRDU volunteers on site with us as we are teaming up to address human trafficking here in the Durham area. Uh, we're putting together hygiene bags, or care bags we call them, full of hygiene products that are used to uh, allow us opportunity to have conversations with uh, victims of sex trafficking. All of this is an effort to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel. Um, my name is Danielle Linville and I go to the West Club campus and I'm a kindergarten teacher down the street at Club Boulevard Magnet Elementary School. And so this year we're coordinating a project at Club Boulevard to work on painting throughout the hallways and working and really deep cleaning the school. We do this to show the love of Christ um, in word and indeed um, to our community, um, to the teachers, to um, to the parents, to the students, to show them that he sees them and loves them. I'm Mark Cheltenham. I'm here at the Sir Walter Raleigh Apartments in downtown Raleigh, uh, cleaning uh, the apartments of senior citizens and just sharing the love of Christ. So far we've, we've had uh, several groups come through and it has just been great. They are definitely bringing the light into some dark places. Well, there's nothing better than uh, doing the will of God, and um, it sustains me, and I thank Him. Um, and so I just want to share that and, and show that, and, and by serving as a church and, and, and sharing that love in Raleigh, we just want to see that love for Christ grow. My name is Victor Wallace. I manage a local car wash in Durham, North Carolina. Uh, this year I'm leading a project called Refugee Connections through ServeRDU, which basically connects the church uh, to local refugee ministry in Durham. There's multiple ways we've been able to help the, the refugee community. And specifically at my work, I've been able to employ uh, some refugees over the years. Uh, ServeRDU should not be the last thing we do this year in terms of ministry. And we're hoping as a church that uh, this is a launching pad for many in the community to get involved in ongoing relationships in Durham. With Christ as a motivation and Christ as our, the only thing we have to offer. Uh, we want to serve, we want to paint walls, we want to do landscaping, we want to minister. Uh, but we want to bring, more importantly, the gospel uh, to our community through ServeRDU. Well, it has been a phenomenal week of ministry here at the Summit Church through uh, ServeRDU. Just out of curiosity, how many of you served in some project uh, over the course of the last four or five days? Would you raise your hand? Let us know. Great. How many of you signed up for a project, got a free t-shirt, and then didn't show up for your project? Okay, good. Just checking. Um, we, uh, we saw uh, the, the numbers are still being compiled, but we saw somewhere in excess of 2,500 volunteers serving at 37 distinct uh, projects within our community uh, over the last four days, uh, representing tens of thousands of man hours. We were just, we were so honored to see what God did in the middle 
of, of some of these Serve RDU stories this week. Matter of fact, you may have some stories that you want to be able to share, and so we've set up a link on our website where you can go, and, and you can actually uh, share some of those stories so that your uh, church family will be encouraged by those. Uh, we would encourage you to go and, and uh, fill that out uh, today and let us know how God worked in the, in the uh, specific projects that you were working in. Um, but we believe, and we've said this over the last several weeks, that Serve RDU is not simply an event. Serve RDU is a catalyst. It's not something that we do for one week out of the year and then we just ignore our, our city the rest of the year. The, this week was designed to help you build relationships with people in our city that you may not ever be able to have a chance to build relationships with. So we hope that you did not just serve in some initiative for a few days and then forget about that initiative. We hope that you will be partnering with some of these community organizations to serve them throughout the, the remainder of the year. Uh, one of the projects where I served this, this week on Friday afternoon was uh, uh, serving in the Albright community uh, in northeast central Durham where we went in, did some light repair and some remodeling in, in some residents' homes there, some senior citizens' homes uh, there and in some common areas of that neighborhood. And that culminated yesterday with a, with a cookout uh, with all of these residents and, and many of our volunteers who were part of that neighborhood. And so our prayer is, is that that will begin to serve as a catalyst for future relationships. Uh, as you've heard us talk about, we have people from the summit that are going to be moving into the Albright community over the next few months. And so we hope that that opened many doors uh, for them to build friendships and for them to continue to share the gospel. So it has been a great week. We want to encourage you to continue to serve and continue to see what God will do, not just during the week of Serve RDU, but all, all year long uh, here in our community. Well, this morning, uh, Pastor J.D. is away. He is preaching at Biltmore Baptist Church over in Asheville. And so uh, I, I am privileged to introduce you to our guest speaker this morning. He actually needs no introduction. And whenever somebody says that, they always go on to introduce them. So I'll do that. Uh, Matt Papa is one of our worship pastors here at the Summit Church. He's already led us in worship this morning. Uh, you frequently see him here on this stage. In addition to serving on our team here, he is uh, frequently on the road traveling 150, 200 days out of the year, uh, leading worship at churches and conferences and camps uh, all over the U.S. and really all over the world. And so we ask him to come and, and to uh, preach for us this morning as a continuation of our Hebrew series, uh, which is a little bit surprising because for those of us who grew up in the 80s, we know that Papa don't preach. And so this is a little bit of a shock. But would you please welcome Matt Papa uh, back to the stage. Always, it's always going to be a good introduction when Danny Franks is involved, right? Um, hey, this is such an honor for me, and I'm so excited about spending some time together in God's Word. And to start out, I'd love for us all to stand together, and we're going to read from Hebrews 11. We're going to read the first six verses. Um, that's where we're going to be spending time today is Hebrews 11:6. but I want us to read and get the context. Let's read this out loud together, Hebrews 11, 1 through 6. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death 
and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. This is God's word. Amen. You guys can be seated. Um, For those of you who are into titles, this is Jesus, the truer and better object of faith. We've been in a Hebrews uh, series here, and today we're going to be looking at this one verse, really. It's Hebrews 11.6. And as a way of introduction, I'd love to just dive right in here to the text. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible to please God. The, The writer here is appealing to this desire that every human being was created with, every person in this room was originally created with this, this desire to please God. Every human being was made with a desire to please God, a desire to seek God, a, a delight in being pleasing to God. Colossians 1 says we were made by him and for him. Genesis 1 tells us we were made to worship and obey him. But this direction and this desire has been, as Romans 1 tells us, marred, broken, and suppressed by unrighteousness, sin idolatry. And so, although we all know that God exists and that we should please him and seek him, we do not. Romans 3, no one seeks God, no, not one. Rather, we please and seek after ourselves and create for ourselves an image of God that is best suited to our liking because we know just enough about God to condemn us. And so the writer here begins early on in this chapter on faith with this statement, without faith it is impossible to please God. So the tension here is set, the, the problem here is set up for us, it's the impossibility of pleasing God. That's, that's the problem here in the text, and the resolution, the answer is clear, the answer is this one word, faith. And that's what we're gonna be talking about today. What is it? It's impossible to please God without faith. Have any of you guys ever known anyone who was impossible to please? Anybody? Um, this, maybe this is the moment where like some elbows are getting thrown instead of some hand, hands being raised. Um, we all know people like that, right? So, so whatever you do, it's never good enough. It's never enough. For me, this person was my fifth grade baseball coach. His name was Coach Dunnigan. And uh, Coach Dunnigan, I'll, I'll never forget him because he just continually, um, turn that down just a little bit, he... Um, would continually just be on my case. As good as I would try to do, there was always something I could do better, right? I'd throw the guy out from third base, I'd throw it to first, and uh, you know, we'd, we'd get him out and he'd say, Red, he'd call me Red. Um, he, said, he said, Red, get it there quicker next time. Come on, man, what are you, you know? Or, or he'd say, Red, throw it closer to his glove hand, Red. Come on, what are you doing? And uh, I remember one time, you know, it was like later in the season and we were sort of in the championships and I'll never forget it as long as I live because I remember uh, late in the game, I threw this guy out from third base, and um, I hear over from the stands, Red! And so I'm like, oh dear, you know, what's about to happen? And he, he says, boy." So it's like, I had just won 40 Olympic gold medals or something in that moment. It was like you know, the greatest moment of my life. And so we all know what this is like. We, we desire that approval and that, um, that statement, that well done from someone. And uh, many of us, you know, 
we see God this way, don't we? We see him as a, a distant deity who's impossible to please no matter what we do. And the reason for that, the reason the world sees him that way, the reason that some of us in this room see him that way is because we don't know him. We don't know his character. We don't know his heart apart from hearing the gospel and responding in faith. And let's just think about this for a minute. Like right now, somewhere in the world, a Muslim is bowing during the Islamic call to prayer. Right now, somewhere in the world, a, a Hindu is burning incense. Right now, somewhere in the world, a college student is burning the candle trying to finish tops in her class so she can land the job and find some security. Right now, a, a, a businessman is working tireless hours, throwing his hope on the vapor of success, dying to hear some kind of congratulations, some sort of well done. Right now, somewhere in the world, maybe here, a regular churchgoer is singing the songs, listening to a talk, giving their money in order to cover up or make up for the failures of last week. But I'm here to tell you today, I want you to hear this, that religion does not please God. Piety, pious living, does not please God. Hard work does not please God. Faith pleases God. Faith pleases God, and the right kind of faith. And so I think for us here today, it's hard to overstate the importance of what we're going to be talking about because of, uh, of the importance of understanding what is faith, the importance of spending some time thinking about it, of talking about it, because heaven and hell are in the balance here. Pleasing God, being pleasing to God is in the balance here. And so I want us to do this as we get started. I'm, I'm going to pray, and I want to just ask that you'd pray with me and pray for me that, that God would open our eyes here today to, to see what this thing is called faith. Let's pray. Father, only, only you can awaken faith in us. We are broken people, enamored with the toys and the small things of this world. And so only you by your Holy Spirit can lift up our eyes to see what we were made to see, the great object of our faith. And so I'd ask that you'd help us to do that as we look into your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're talking about faith, and I want to ask three questions of faith today. Faith, what is it? What does the God-pleasing kind look like, and do you have it? That's it. What is it? What does the God-pleasing kind look like, and do you have it? So first, what is it? And without faith, it is impossible to please God. So we've got to get our minds around this. Faith. What is it? People teaching on the subject of faith often start from an apologetic stance. And maybe that's what you were expecting to hear today as we're talking about faith. They give you reasons why you should believe the Bible or why you should believe that God created the heavens and the earth. And I think that's a, a great thing to do and we should do that. Or other times, speaking on the, uh, people speaking on the topic of faith will maybe talk about, uh, they'll, they'll tell you things like, if you pray hard enough, you can have these things. Right? They'll tell you you can believe God. If you believe God enough, God will make all your wildest dreams come true and he'll give you the BMW that you've been waiting for and the, the big promotion at work. Oh, I'm actually not here to do either of those. 
Uh, I'm not here today to convince you to have faith. I'm here today to tell you that you already have it. The question that I want to look at today is, where is it? Where is it? The question that I want to ask is, where is it? Let me try to explain what I mean by this. Um, in 1993, the greatest movie of all time was released, and it was about uh, a young man who grew up watching Notre Dame football. And, uh, do I, okay, do I hear like the chant already happening from the back of the room? Anybody? Okay, uh, maybe not. But it's my favorite movie of all time. It's this movie called Rudy. And Rudy is this little underdog. It's one of the greatest underdog stories of all time. He, um, he's a huge Notre Dame football uh, fan. His whole family is. And so he grows up watching him on TV. And has this dream to be a, a Notre Dame football player. And all his brothers are like, dude, you're crazy. You're just like this little shrimp guy. And they just, you know, make fun of him and knock him down. And they're just kind of, you know, he's just the, the little guy. He's the underdog. But... He, he sets his sights on this thing, and so he, he's working in a factory, and he decides to go to a junior college to, to get a degree so that he can get into Notre Dame. He makes the grades. He fights through uh, study hall so he can get into Notre Dame. He makes it into Notre Dame, this prestigious university. He gets the grades. He gets there. He walks onto the football team. He uh, tries out. He barely makes it, but he gets on the team. He plays in the last game of the last uh, of the season, the last game of the season, the very last game, the very last play of that game. He goes into the game. He makes the last tackle of the game. The team carries him off the field. And uh, if you haven't seen the movie, you should be ashamed of yourself. Um, I, I'm convinced that's one of those movies that, like, guys, if you cry in, you, you get a man point. Like, you don't, you don't lose man points, you get man points. Um, but um, that's the essence of faith. Faith is when you look around the world for something that will make you happy and you find that thing and you go for it. That's faith. And so I, I want us to do this today. I want us to, to head toward a definition of faith. And I know that Hebrews 11 speaks of faith in a Christian sense. Um, it speaks of it in relation to its proper object by faith. It assumes that our faith is in God. However, just for a minute, I want to go up 30,000 feet with you. And I want to ask the question, what is this faith? What is this thing? And a question that will come up several times today. If you're taking notes, you can jot this one down. Can the object of my faith withstand the weight of faith? Can the object of my faith withstand the weight of faith? So what is it? Let's move toward a, a definition. Um, my definition of faith comes mostly from the verse that we just read. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe he is, and he is a rewarder of those who seek him. It's a combination of Hebrews 11.1 1, and a quote by A.W. Tozer. Tozer says this, Faith is the gaze of a soul upon a saving God. And so it's, it's those things combined, but I've also done this with it, and I, I think this will be helpful to you today. I've unchristianized it. Um, and let me tell you what I mean and, and why that's helpful. For example, if you talk about worship, you ever hear people talking about worship and they say, you know, well, what do you worship? Um, and, you, and you have this dialogue about worship. Oftentimes, the conversation goes directly to, like, well, what songs do you sing? Or is he a guy who raises his hands? Or is he a guy who bows on his knees? Or, you know, that, that's kind of the litmus test for, for how you worship. Um, but I think it's really more helpful for us as uh, human beings who are raging idolaters, for us to 
speak of worship not in a Christian sense, but a more general sense. It's more exposing to the heart. For example, if I want to talk to you about worship, I'm probably not going to talk to you about songs, but I'm probably going to ask you a question like, to where does your money flow effortlessly? That's your God. That's what you worship. Or a question like, what have you in your life worked the hardest for? That's what you worship, right? Or what's that thing in your life that if you lost it, you wouldn't want to go on living? That's what you worship. And so I aim to do the same thing with faith today, to, to speak of it in a general sense. So here's, here's the definition. Faith is the gaze of the soul toward that which is the hope of happiness leading to demonstrations of commitment and trust. Faith is the gaze of the soul toward that which is the hope of happiness, leading to demonstrations of commitment and trust. It could be God. It could be work. It could be anything. You, you think about the Rudy example. For him, it was Notre Dame football. The gaze of his soul was set on Notre Dame football. Everyone lives by faith. The question is, in what? The businessman lives by faith that, that money, that success, will be his happiness. The atheist scientist lives by faith that the truth that he will one day discover will satisfy his soul. He lives by faith that, that the world operates on a standard that, that never changes. So the question is today, can the object of your faith withstand the weight of faith? So... Um, let me, let me help us today by clarifying how this process actually works. So from day to day, this is, faith is, is a process. Um, and so since I'm a good Baptist, I grew up Baptist, so I have to have three points and they all start with the same letter. So if you'll bear with me, um, it, it, it's like this. this is, I call it the three A's of faith. Maybe it'll help you remember it. First, you apprehend. Second, you accept. Third, you act. The third one being the most important. You apprehend, you accept, and you act. You apprehend, so like faith is not checking your mind at the door. You're like learning. You accept, you believe that whatever the thing is, is going to be your happiness. It's good. And third, you act. So to use a overused Summit Church example, but I think it's a good one. We have this chair, right? The Summit chair. Um, first, you apprehend. Behold chair, right? It's a chair. So it was designed to uh, help people sit down, to allow people to sit down. Next, you accept whether or not this chair will hold me up. I believe it will, and I believe it will bring rest to my tired legs. And third, and the most important that proves my faith, I sit down, right? That's how it plays itself out every time. That's how faith works. So say you're watching TV and, and the beer commercial comes on. And you see lots of people drinking beer, there's half-naked girls, there's people having a good time, right? And so you're apprehending this, beer, girls, fun, right? And so in, in, in just a second, your, your, your mind and your heart turns to, that, that's a good thing. I think that will make me happy. And step three, you go to the store and you buy the beer, right? That's faith. That's you living by faith, and so I, I want to tell you why this is important today, because the range of this is so massive. This little three-step process will play itself out in your life today, probably hundreds of times, and in your life, maybe millions of times. But the scope of it 
will range anywhere from you sitting down in a chair to you sitting down in a chair on Wall Street giving your life to collecting green pieces of paper and in the end losing your soul. Becoming a Steve Jobs, where you, where, where you apprehend and, and you accept the fact that, that fame and success will be your happiness and you act on that and you act on it and you act on it until you die and you're on your deathbed and you're wondering what you did with your life. That's what faith does. And that's why I love Tozer's quote. He, he begins with the gaze of the soul because what I, what I want us to focus on here today is not sitting in chairs and that kind of stuff. I want us to focus on those things that we tend to throw the, the full weight of our soul upon. The full weight of our faith upon. Like gaining people's attention. Success, money, religion, your reputation, having the highest IQ, having the nicest body, having lots of sex. Where do you go for happiness? Where do you go? What do you, what is it you want more than anything? Towards what is your heart moving today? What is the gaze of your soul set on? And faith will do this. Faith will vary in its measure or amount according to the perceived greatness, importance, truthfulness, or delightfulness of its object. You have that there. Basically, all that means is this. Whatever you see as great, truthful, satisfying, that's what you're going to throw the full weight of your faith on. So if you think winning in sports, being the best in sports is really important, you're going to throw the full weight of your faith on that. If you think being married is really important and essential and satisfying, then you're going to throw the full weight of your faith upon that. If you think being famous is important, etc., but the thing that I want you to walk away with today, the thing that I'm here to tell you today is that the only thing strong enough, the only thing great enough, the only thing wise enough, the only thing good enough, the only thing interesting enough in the world, the only thing true enough, the only thing satisfying enough to throw the full weight of your faith on is the almighty God. It's the triune God. You were made for him. Your faith is, is heavy. It's heavy. So you're like, how do you know that? Well, I know that because of this. You, if you place it on anything but God, it's like a boulder on a toothpick. Right? I, I mean, and we've all seen this in our lives. We throw the weight of our faith onto another person. They let us down. I've seen this in my own life. I throw the weight of my faith on selling more CDs or being more well-known or whatever. And it ends up disappointing me. Or, I do sell a lot of CDs one year or something, and then it's not enough. Right? Disappointment, I want you to hear this today. Disappointment and despair are the fruits of idolatry. The God you thought was so strong and so good and so interesting got its back broken under the weight of your faith. So you don't get the promotion. You don't get the girl, and you're left in despair. Or you get the promotion, and you get the girl, and then you realize it's not enough. Robbie Zacharias said this, the loneliest moment of a, person of a person's life is when they get the thing they've always wanted and realize it's not enough. So, and, and by the way, this is where cynicism comes from, which is the opposite of faith. This is why we can't trust like children anymore. This is how our hope and our faith got so shriveled up that we can hardly trust anyone or anything anymore. 
It's because we've, we've been burned so many times by this world by throwing the full weight of our soul onto this world. Cynicism is born of throwing the weight of your faith upon the idol that just betrayed you. That thing that just betrayed you, you go back to it again. You go back again. Until your faith and your trust and your hope is so shriveled up. And what I want to encourage you today to do is to throw your faith on God. To throw your faith on God. That's what faith does. It it apprehends, it accepts, and then it acts. Faith, it's the gaze of a soul toward that which is the hope of happiness leading to demonstrations of commitment and trust. Number two, what does the God-pleasing kind look like? So that's really what we're after, right? That's really what we've got to know. So how do we please this God? It's by faith, and it's the right kind of faith. A.D.W. Tozer, he says this. He says, faith is not in itself a meritorious act. The merit is in the one toward whom it is directed. So here's what I want us to do with the remainder of our time. We're going to let Hebrews 11.6 show us what God-pleasing faith looks like. And at the same time, I hope, this is what I want us to do. I want us to experience together that little three-step process that, was just, that we just talked about. I want us to experience that process together with God as the object of faith. I want the gaze of our souls to be lifted to this great object, and I want us to just worship together. Again, uh, the, the arguments that I'm going to make are not philosophical. I'm going to read from the Bible because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. So, believer in the room, let's worship together. Let's uh, and, and add fuel to the fire of your faith. The doubter, skeptic in the room, would you... Just give God's word and the gospel a chance today, knowing that you're already putting your faith in something. Would you give it a chance? So here we go. What does God-pleasing faith look like? Hebrews 11.6 tells us we must believe that God is. So that's number one. God-pleasing faith believes that God is. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. In order to please God, you must believe he exists. Now, like, this is, it seems kind of obvious, right? So I think about, like, you know, after a long day, you come home from work, and um, you're watching TV, uh, guys in the room, and, and maybe the wife comes down and, and wants to, you know, he, she wants to start talking, right? And you're, you're uh, glued to the TV, and your mind is, is going numb, and, um, and so she's talking to you, and you're watching TV, which is never a good combination, right? And, um, but, but in just a second, you better believe that she exists, or... Else you're going to learn that the hard way when she slaps you across the face, right? So, I mean, with God, it's no different, right? God is a person. He's three persons, and through faith, we apprehend his existence. We don't turn our minds off when we come to God, or anything else for that matter. We must believe he is. And so this is, what, what we're going to do right here is, is we're going to do step one. We're going to apprehend. We've got to believe that God is. And I want us to, to go to his word and just to worship together. So I'd ask that you join me. We must believe he is. We must believe he is I am. One of the first places you might go in knowing if someone exists is actually learning their name. So Moses comes to God and says, Exodus chapter 3, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. What's his name? What am I going to tell them? God says to Moses, I am who I am. 
That is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. So he is, I am. We've got to believe that he's, I am. He's eternal. Psalm chapter 90, verse 2 says this, before the mountains were born or before you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Revelation 1.8, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was and is and is to come, the Almighty. God never had a beginning. He has no mommy or daddy. He's there. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, creator of the ends of the earth. We must believe he is I am. We must believe he is the all-powerful creator. C.S. Lewis says this, no philosophical, no philosophical theory which I have yet come across is a radical improvement on the words of Genesis, in the beginning God made heaven and earth. Psalm 33, six through nine, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. He is creator. And he didn't create because he was lonely. Right? He's like Father, Son, Holy Spirit dwelling eternally for all time. He didn't make any of us or any of this stuff because he was lonely. He made it because like, kind of like a songwriter writes a song out of the overflow of who he is, not because he needs the song, because it's out of the overflow of himself. In his joy, he writes a song. In his joy, God made all things. We've got to believe he is sovereign. Psalm 115 verse 3, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Colossians 1, the supremacy of the Son of God. Listen to this. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. We must believe he is holy. There is no one like our God. There is no one so unique, no one so valuable, no one so perfect that one sin against him warrants eternal punishment. He's so holy that the angels of heaven, think about this right now, even now in his presence are covering their faces. Even these holy beings have to cover their eyes before our God. Heaven is his throne. The earth is his footstool. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done, Daniel 4? For, thrum, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That's who he is. Listen to this other quote by A.W. Tozer. If you can tell, I like A.W. Tozer. He says this. I think it would be a wonderful thing if every preacher in America would begin to preach about God and nothing else for one solid year. Just one solid year, preach about God, who he is, his attributes, his perfections, his being, the kind of God he is, why we dare trust him, why we can trust him, why we should trust him, why we can love him, why we should love him, and why we dare not fall short and keep on preaching God, the triune God, and keep on until God fills the whole horizon. Then let a man get up and preach a promise, and the whole congregation would say, I can trust that promise. Look who made it. You've got to believe he is. You've got to apprehend that. He is. But the mind won't accept what the heart has already rejected. And so, number two, you must believe he is good. 
This is that step two in the process where you accept it, where you believe that what that thing is that you're looking at is gonna be your happiness. It says Hebrews 11:6, for he who comes to God must believe that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Rewarder of those who seek him. In other words, he's good. We've gotta believe he's good. Now this is the step in the process where your heart is one. It's, where you, it's after you apprehend and where you realize the thing you set your gaze on is gonna bring you satisfaction. And this is where the heart is one to God. Not just when we see that he is the, the creator and the sustainer of the universe, but when we see that he not only is, but he is good. And this is the part where I'm about to get really fired up because this is the gospel, this is the good news. I'm, I'm here to tell you today that God is good and the greatest and most rock solid place and the way we know that is because he came for us. He came for us and he died for our sins. That's how you know he's good. Romans 3.23, we've all sinned. We were dead in our transgressions. Ephesians chapter two, children of wrath, just like the rest, by nature. Romans 5.6, but while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone might dare even die. But God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He was wounded for our transgressions, pierced for our iniquities, but God being rich in mercy has made us alive together with Christ Jesus. By grace we've been saved. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. And just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He who did not spare his own son, Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? He is good. He is good. Even in the midst of suffering, he is good. Even in the difficult things of life, to understand he is good. The cross forever declares to a world gone bad that God is good. He's good. One of the things that's helped me to see this more is, um, is being a dad myself. I've got two little girls, and uh, one of them's gonna come up here with me. You wanna come up here, Paisley? Can you come up here with me? You wanna walk up the steps right there? This is Paisley, she's three years old, and um, I love her so much. Come here. Hey. Hey, sweetie. How you doing? How are you? I love this girl with all my heart, and uh, I, I long for her happiness. I want her to be happy. And, and I'm not, I don't mean like a trite kind of happiness. I, I want you to be really, really happy. 
And, and so that's why sometimes we give them spankings, right? That's, that's why sometimes um, we let them watch movies and sometimes we don't. And that's why one of these days we'll, we'll help her go through school because we want her ultimate, deepest happiness. That's why we're going to disciple her to know Jesus. But I want to tell you today that I am, uh, as much as I want her happiness, as much as I want to see her flourish, I am far from perfect. I'm far from being a perfect father. But I want you to hear these words today, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says this, which of you, if your son asked him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Even in the midst of suffering, God is good. Some of you, you might be here today, and you might be facing the most difficult thing you've ever faced in your life. And, and I'll be honest, I, it's overwhelming for me to even stand on this stage and to even think about how to begin to speak to that area of your life. But what I can tell you today, based on the cross, based on God's love demonstrated for us there, is that God is sovereign and he is holy and he is mighty, but he's not just that. He's good. He's sovereign and good, and, and the tapestry that he is weaving that is your life. On the other side of it, the side that we can't see, it's going to look messy. You know, you, you weave the quilt or the tapestry, and one side of it, looks, it just doesn't make sense. It's just kind of ugly. And then the other side, it's going to turn into something beautiful. And God will work all things together for your good. This momentary light affliction will work for you in eternal weight of glory because he loves you. Some of you... Maybe your faith is, is kind of uh, on the edge today, not because of a difficult time you're going through, but because of a command in God's word that you see that's difficult for you to deal with. You know, sometimes I'm reading the Bible and it's like God's word just grabs me by the shirt and just arrests me. And it's like in that moment, I have to decide, is he God or not? Like, like, do, I, do I really believe this? If I, if I believe it, I've got to obey it. And, and that's the thing. Maybe that's the place you're in today. Maybe you look at, at, a, at a command and you see this, d deny yourself, carry your cross. And you look at this and you wonder, like, I don't know if I, I can do this or not. But what, what I want to tell you today is that, that that command that you're wrestling with right now, that command is for your happiness. That command is for your good. Every one of God's commands are for our freedom. They're for our freedom. That command to go make disciples of all nations. That command to, to not gossip, to not lust. All of those things are for your freedom. Uh, Paisley, she's at this stage right now where she likes to ask why a lot. You like to ask why, don't you? You do. She loves to ask why. And, you know, it's, it, it could be over anything. Um... Eat your broccoli, why, you know? Don't touch the, the, uh, the electrical, socket, uh, electrical socket, why, you know? Um, th there's lots of, of whys going on right now, and I don't really 
feel like I need to go through the explanation like, okay, well, if you touch the light socket, this thing called electricity goes through, and it's like uh, copper and metal and that conducts it, and it was invented in this year, and such and such and such. You know, that, that's, that's kind of too high for, for Paisley, right? I just say, baby, please don't touch it. You know, just, just trust me, right? And what I, what I hope you see today, as you remember the gospel, as you f- reflect on the love that Jesus has for you, is that he's good. He wants your happiness. He died for your sins so that you would be saved. And so maybe rather than at that command of God, maybe rather than asking why, you could be a little more like a child. Does does your relationship with God look like this? Maybe you could be a little more childlike in your faith of of just trusting your father with, with reckless abandon. God is good. He's a rewarder of those who seek him. But it's not enough just to apprehend or just believe. As Kierkegaard said, to believe is to obey. You guys, uh, you want to give Paisley a round of applause here? Can you head back to your seat? Can you head back? Step three, you've got to come to him. Hebrews 11, verse six, for he who comes to God. You've got to come. You've got to see who God is. You've got to believe that he wants your good. And you've got to come. You've got to prove your faith. Nobody would have ever heard of Rudy Rudiger if he just sat there and watched TV. I would not be married right now if I had just told my wife when we were engaged, you know, hey, getting to know you has been awesome, and like, I really, you know, I want to be with you, I, wanna, I, I think you're beautiful, and I want to spend the rest of my life with you, but like that whole I do thing, I don't really want to do that, right? That's not really going to go over too well. This step is the culmination of faith. It's the proof of faith. So in light of his greatness, in light of his goodness, today, you cross the line, You give your life to Jesus. You have the difficult conversation. You write the letter. You make the phone call. You sign up for the mission trip. You make the move overseas. You adopt. You sell the house. You leave the job. You get rid of the porn. You choose a a new group of friends. You change your eating habits. You get in a small group. You take the step of faith that God has been asking you to take because you know that he is your father in heaven and you know and trust it is for your happiness. It's for your happiness. James chapter two is famous verse of scripture. What good is it, my brothers or sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? What good is it? So the the last question, this is where we land today. Do you have it? That the kind of faith that pleases God, do you have it? Do you believe he is? Do you believe he is a rewarder of those who seek him? Where is your faith? Where is it? Are you placing it, are you placing the weight of your hope on to created things, things that will only continually disappoint you? Christian in the room, you say that your faith is in God, but you have these functional saviors in your life that you continually turn to. Where is your faith? He is the rewarder of those who seek him. 
Some of you, and I want to point out that part, him, seek him, because some of you in the room today are seeking things from God. The gaze of your soul is set on the things that God can give you, and you think that that's faith, but it's not. He is a rewarder of those who seek him. Listen to this. How could it be, God, how could it be good for God to give you that thing that you have always wanted if what you have always wanted isn't him? How could that be good of him? If what you've always wanted isn't him. He's not going to give you the stone. He's not going to give you the snake. Where's your faith? I want to close with a quote. Uh, It's by Jonathan Edwards. And I want it to just bring us to the place where we, again, just remember the, the object of our faith. That we were made for him. He says this, The enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven, to fully enjoy God, is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of earthly friends are but shadows. God is the substance. These are but scattered beams. God is the sun. These are but streams. God is the ocean. Thirsty sinners, where's your faith? You have drank so deep from the empty wells of this world. Come to Jesus today. He's the ocean. He's the only one strong enough, great enough, good enough, satisfying enough to bear the weight of your faith. Can we pray together? I want you to think about maybe that area of your life where you've procrastinated obedience. And I want you to think about why you've done that. Where you've postponed your obedience. And in view of the cross, I want you to ask God to help you today to repent, to look to the cross, to trust that God is good and that he wants your happiness and by faith to let go of that whatever that thing is and to throw your faith on him. Father, help us with this. Please help us with this. You're good and you exist and I pray that we would run to you as our great reward, the only one that we seek and trust with all our hearts. In Jesus' name.